0: to the UX Institute podcast. I'm your host, Mark Swain, founder of UXI. UXI is a new user experience learning platform offering user experience product and design mentoring and courses for startups, individuals, and company product teams. This is the very first episode. We have lots of amazing episodes to come where I'll be speaking with UX and product leaders from around the globe, from all kinds of companies building products and services. First up though, we have Megan Kierstead. Megan is a very successful life coach and lead UX researcher and mentor and has worked with the likes of Salesforce and Trifacta. I stumbled across Megan on LinkedIn as she was posting some excellent thoughts around the realities of carrying out UX research on a day to day basis, you know, the kind of grit that's needed to be successful in UX and the kind of realities that just don't get spoken to or taught anywhere online or offline. As it struck such a chord with me, I had to have a conversation with Megan on this, as I felt so aligned with her thinking and experiences. Hi, Megan. Hey. Yeah, hello there. Uh, thank you for joining me today. I really appreciate your time. Just from previous chats, I know I think we share a lot of similar stories and views around some of the topics we're going to discuss today. And so it would be great maybe just uh, to get a bit of a background on your UX research, where you've come from, where you've gotten to, what you love doing today and why.
1: Sounds great. So um, I've been in uh, product research for over a decade at this point, which sounds insane to say out loud, Uh, but uh, it's true. So I. did not like go into college with an idea that I was going to go into like UX. In fact, I didn't know what I was going to do when I started college, but um, I ended up double majoring in political science and computer science. Um, particularly because for me, um, I was always interested in the intersection of people and technology back, you know, uh, when I was, when I was in school, people thought I was crazy because, um, you know, social science and computers seemed so far apart. Um, but, uh, I told them, (laughs) I showed them. So, um, you know, I originally was actually going to go and get a PhD in political science. So obviously research is something I've always really been passionate about and interested in. But uh, I realized I didn't want to be in academia for a whole host of reasons and uh, had to sort of uh, figure my shit out and get a job. (laughs) So I ended up um, I briefly was a management consultant. I kind of hated all the travel. So um, I ended up at the EMC where I was essentially a product manager for some of their their big tools. And um, what I was doing was UX research, user acceptance, testing, priority yeah. uh, prioritizing requirements, things along those lines. And uh, I really liked that, but I really wanted to go deeper. So um, at some point, I took some time off, tried to figure my myself out and uh, ended up discovering that like HCI and uh human factors and ergonomics essentially that these fields existed and then i would say probably the more you know the less academic version of that and uh was ux so so it took me a few years to realize that ux was even a thing i I hadn't even heard that term um and i was on the east coast so um i think it things tend to be a little slower there in the tech industry Ah. so um eventually i went back to graduate school um uh, it was actually an environmental conservation, but my that was just because of my advisor, and I really focused on on social science methodology. So um, I wow. eventually founded my own consulting company, started working with startups, um, and then I moved out to the West Coast and uh, started working with tech companies. I spent some time with at Salesforce. um uh working working on some of their newer products in their industry group and in fact i was the first researcher in the industry group and then um i uh uh my last job was at a uh, a growing startup and uh, recently, I've decided that I am meant to be an entrepreneur. So mm, I am both nice. doing yeah. coaching for you for uh, people in the industry, and um, also doing some uh, you know startup mentorship. But uh, I I found the thing that I really love the most in my work was um, helping uh, people grow, both in their yeah. careers and in their life, and and not letting. Not letting the man keep them down, as it were, Uh, really um, focusing on like uh, of the emotional health and um, getting people to sort of embrace who they are to become like awesome researchers.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, because you've kind of arrived at that point, Um, I guess, like I have in some ways, too, in my career. Um, But it's interesting that you arrived at that point because... I guess because of the realities that you've seen over the years in terms of mental health and the fact that UX is hard and that yes. it, it can <laughs> be extremely taxing on people. Um, no matter what situation be it, a startup a corporate, whatever the kind of arrangement is, uh, it can be super tough. And I guess that's not talked about or communicated enough, I think anyway. Um, so No, so,
1: um, it, yeah. it really isn't. Um, I think, I think, Yeah, um, I totally agree. I think it's one thing that is really unacknowledged or or sort of brushed under the rug. In fact, it's one of those things that I try to make sure to talk to, you know, aspiring uh, people in UX about. But um, I saw that um, a lot of people were struggling with sort of feeling like they had impact, feeling like they belonged, feeling like yeah. research was important to their organization. Yeah. And because, um, particularly in the United States, so this is the case a lot of places, you're, we take our careers and make them our identity. So if you aren't accepted, like in your career, it makes so you feel like you yeah. are worth nothing. Sure. So um, it, it's awful. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, that's research, such a great point. We, yeah, because research is, is a role that, um, imp- I work mostly with researchers, but I also work with people, you know, in design, but, um, I come from a research background and researchers in particular are there to challenge the status quo. Your role is to essentially get, get people to question their assumptions and, and yeah. shift their beliefs.
0: Yeah.
1: And surprisingly, that's hard for a lot of people in any kind of organization. So I think researchers take it on themselves that it's their fault somehow yeah. that this isn't working. And, um, I I think that's a problem Um, also if you are regularly interacting with users and trying to like tell their stories some of those stories can be brutal depending on what industry you're in I I was working on a healthcare product for example and I had a a month where I was doing interviews with nothing but you know chronically ill people like very seriously ill people or people who were caring for seriously ill people and you know there were people crying on calls and and I had to sort of be the the, like objective supportive researcher but I came out of it feeling like I needed therapy because essentially the sessions were therapy for, uh, for the participants. So I think, I think that's a lot of it. And then I think, uh, particularly now the industry, um, blew up in the last probably like three to five years. Mm -hmm. So a lot more people are getting into UX. So it's become brutally competitive. So once again, people take that on themselves and blame themselves for, for that. So, um, I think particularly it's probably a particularly hard time to be someone who's like just trying to get into UX research. So, um, I really wanted to do my best to like address some of these issues so that we could have like a next generation of like healthy, um, impactful, confident researchers. So, um, the coaching I do is usually like mindset based. So it's, it sort of gets you to own your own power, which I really, I really
0: love. Oh, that's that's great. That's amazing. Um love all that. That's awesome. You're hitting off the exact points that I have been through myself. Even as a senior leader like yourself, I've been through it in so many interchangeable ways on big projects, small projects. I've recently even to speak to your point, uh I've been on a project where we were going from a typical scenario from an old Frankenstein piece of software uh, where they're trying to reimagine okay. and transform into a new SaaS public-facing model. Um, and I I went through it. I was the lead researcher because the research is the part I love most. Um, and that's what I've been doing most of my career. But <clears throat> uh, jumping into meeting some of the customers for that platform, change, and listening to them, traveling on a plane and listening to them and co-creating with them, um, I was yelled at. I was shouted at by some of their customers off mm-hmm. the current platform. I went through all kinds of experiences. Um, it was uh, it was such an eye-opener. This has happened in different ways uh, historically previously on projects, but um, no one really out there that preps you or prepares you in UX really talks about this kind of stuff or ever gets into the kind of taxing, yeah. the taxing on your mental health, how... You need to deliver some real validated insights prioritized that will shift or change the platform or the org in the right way. And that's what you're delivering at the at the end We're of the not
1: day. Small,
0: like it's that's not small. Big stuff. It's huge things and yeah. going in as a UX person. you you know depending on the company of course depending on the leadership team they might expect everything and anything from you or they might just expect you to do the research you know if you read ux job profiles they're all over the place um but yeah so the expectations is really big so so then just on the first point then in terms of mentoring people then how how are you preparing them how are you trying to um Uh, make them understand better on how to handle themselves in these kind of scenarios?
1: So um, essentially, the approach I take is about um, really about yourself. And it's essentially that all of the, regardless of the circumstances that happen in your life, you will be able to deal with them. So um, it, it essentially recognizes that how we think about ourselves creates our reality. It creates essentially the things that happen in your life. So the classic example I like to give is that, you know, if you're thinking like, you know, I might not have enough experience for this job, um, that's going to make you feel a certain way. Like you are going to feel probably inadequate. You are going to feel um, perhaps anxious. You're going to feel like you don't belong. That if you show up in an interview, (laughs) or even are applying to jobs like that, it will essentially affect how you're perceived. So um, someone who's showing up to an interview who, you know, believes they don't deserve a job, usually is not going to get the job. Um, So it's essentially about shifting your thoughts and beliefs in yourself so that you show up and think, I am, this is the right job for me or if I don't get hired it has nothing to do with me um so that you you essentially are taking back your own power and saying you know I show up in my best way and I know that I give her give good results so no matter what my boss tells me I believe in myself and I believe in what I'm doing um, which really, um, uh, you know, I think there is a, a interesting challenge there where some people feel like, oh, it's bl- victim blaming. But for yeah. me, this transformation of like shifting my brain was so crucial to going from like literally every day coming home and like talking to my friends and roommate and essentially not knowing what to do with myself because I I felt like I was doing an amazing job and then would get told, you know, well, it doesn't have impact, even though I know it did. You know, like crying and feeling awful. And then shifting it to being like, I did I know I do really good work. I know and believe in myself. So, if they don't buy it, it's about them. It's yeah. not about me um oh, and so really That's, divorcing my my yeah. self worth and like who I am and my identity from essentially how others perceive me It's incredibly powerful um yeah. it, and the cool thing is when you do this kind of work, it actually ends up like percolating to everywhere in your life.
0: yeah, great. That sounds brilliant um that sounds so cool because I can totally relate to some scenarios with some projects where you may get feedback um, and it's coming from leadership teams who are uneducated, uh, who don't get product and who also deliver all of this kind of direction and feedback that might be from an archaic place. Um, and uh, at the same time, given that they're the leadership team, CEO and co and the company, um, you, know, uh, you can only deliver the best feedback and insights and all of your work that you can do to point them in the right direction if they don't take it on board or you're criticized for it it's usually on them right yes
1: exactly like they have they have beliefs for example about the efficacy of research or or often actually it's related to like what they think the product should be, or like, you know, they heard from a particular customer or the something they think that you will know, we'll make more money or whatever. But yeah, regardless, yeah, yeah. it's their beliefs that are causing them to not accept what you're saying. Yeah. Um, and you, you, you know, there, there are ways to sort of uh, influence that. But at the same time, you can't take that responsibility and ownership on yourself for someone else's perception and emotion.
0: Totally, and so many people in product and u x go through this on a daily basis where they feel sometimes alienated from their own teams because of what they're doing or the truths they're trying to tell about what's really going on or the changes that need to happen great so, right, yeah, and I yeah. think and
1: I think um particularly people in u x products you know whatever tend to be like emotionally intelligent, caring, compassionate people. Like I think the field attracts that because we all want to make the world better through, you know, better experiences. So it's particularly challenging for, you know, people who... very
0: empathetic yeah and also the fact that people in our area like you said we really want to make a change and we love ideation and creating new things percolating it up and seeing if it works um to change people to change things whatever it might be and and that's super important to us too that's amazing the work you're doing with people i might even talk to you after the show about doing some work with me too (laughs) um so uh, um so then on to kind of the next area I wanted to hit off was just to get from all your experience, coupled with mine, I guess, to get your opinion or view on current research methods and product, um, be it startups, corporates, banks trying to transform all the usual shit that goes with that internally, <laughs> all, all the crazy. Um, and so What do you see is kind of landing today or what do you see is not? Because from my perspective, there's this gargantuous toolbox of all these UX canvases and methods and opportunities to find and dig out insights in some shape or way to form them, to drive direction. I find that very few of them are really that good. And I find sometimes I don't even want to use many of them because they just feel like box ticking exercises Um, and I find it's really down to the UX leader or person in the room to kind of maybe source or figure out well the only way to extract insights here is to do this method or this tool or whatever it might be would that be right is that how you've kind of felt through it your career or or what do you think of the current state of tooling and research
1: yeah, um, I certainly my first reaction, like when I see job descriptions listing specific tools is to really question what what um, who wrote that job description if they know, yeah. know their, their stuff, because um, tools are tools. I I honestly think um, they are roughly interchangeable and you should be able to go back and forth between them without too much issue if you have a good understanding of the foundation. So um, I think an analogous example, um, because I do have a computer science background, is like programming languages. If you have a strong foundation in computer science concepts um, and got got exposed to like all the paradigms and algorithms and stuff Mm -hmm. um, during your education, you should be able to pick up any programming language relatively quickly. And from, you know, my, I obviously took a different path, but I have, you know, good friends who uh, are engineers and the best of them. Yeah. They, they pick up a new programming language like that. I have a good friend who, uh, you know, has been an engineer for probably 20, 25 years and, you know, it's not a big deal. So I, I view tools similarly and even methods. Um, there certainly has been an insane explosion. I would say of UX to, tools in the last few years like I feel like every other week I see an advertisement (laughs) for a new like you know knowledge repository kind of tool which is great in some sense because people are um, you know recognizing that um, this is a growing industry but um, I think a lot of times they're missing the point I will say so I do think there are a few different problems here one is like the execution of research and then there's the the tool you use for like organizational knowledge and process Mm -hmm. Um, for the research tool side of things I am I'm not old school because I've tried a bunch of the new tools but in my research and these are like large-scale projects I am using excel to track participants well not excel I'll Google, Google, Google Sheets. Yeah. I take notes in Google Docs and things get organized in folders. Recordings are done on Zoom or WebEx yeah. or you know Google Meet. And um, I'll take pictures like with my phone. I'll do recordings with my phone. Um, beyond that, I don't need any other tools other than maybe the, if I'm doing like a quantitative project, I might need like R or something. But sure. that's it. And I can tell you, <laughs> I have done big stuff with that. And, um, and I have also done like, you know, uh, you know, highly impactful projects across the complete range of methods. So I don't think you need tools to be successful. I think when you get to the point where you're building a research organization, like I did this at my last job, you do need to start thinking about like, how do I expand this? Particularly researchers um, and designers are often constrained on resources. So the tools help you scale but that's all they do they like help you scale so um uh it certainly was helpful to like have a repository for all our research and be able to use it but one thing i think that's really missing from any of a lot of those tools where it's about like sharing knowledge and and you know recording research results is the problems with like sharing research aren't necessarily just the storage part it's also the how to present it so you can't um i saw this when implementing um Um, some of this at um, my, my previous job with a team because I had like probably like 15, 20 people who wanted to use the research, but because they didn't know how to take research and turn it into like actionable results, the tool was not as useful for them, um, so I think one of the things that um, is really necessary is essentially something to help with synthesis and also then the presentation of results and essentially having influence. Because I feel like that's the biggest problem yeah. in research is like is having impact. Well, no, showing impact. I feel like research almost always that's has such impact. A great showing thing. Yeah. showing impact and. Um, and communicating it in a way that it's it's very believable, like that for me is the the you know holy grail of research. If you can do that kind of stuff, and it's also the difference between someone who's like less experienced and someone who who who's very experienced. Usually, is like crossing that bridge from like doing analysis to really like showing how it will change your business. Yeah,
0: that's such a great point. I've talked about that point so many times with some of my own students, uh, just around how after. All of the research activities are done. You've correlated or mapped or you've used affinity mapping, whatever you're going to use to distill and filter it all down. Um, how do you then convey those results into some form of really impactful, meaningful way that's kind of backlogged or prioritized in some way to point, to show and point this is where you need to start and this is going to be the result as, as to the why. Um, yeah, that seems to be one of the biggest gaps in delivering research right
1: yeah absolutely and i think and i think one of the things that is sort of at the root of this is that there's no like at least there aren't very, very many good examples of the like measure research loop in existence i mean probably a big companies you can you can do a little bit of that but i will say i know a big company that still doesn't happen from personal yeah. experience yeah, so yeah. um So essentially, you can put results out in the world, but then people feel like they don't have impact because there's no like checkbox that says, you know, we made five hundred million dollars because of this change. Um, Like sales, it's really obvious to see what what the changes are. So I think one of the things that's sort of an open area for particularly like research and UX leadership is how do you link like, quantitative measures, the things that, like, a lot of the, you know, business executives are looking at, to the research you have. And then essentially regularly checking in with that and seeing how the research has potentially shifted things and then you know doing your research loop for there. Right. Um right. I, I don't see very many examples of companies that do that well. No,
0: I rarely ever see that being done or done really well or anyone in an organization owning that. It's start maybe some uh, you know product managers might depending on the scenario under role type. But um yeah I rarely see it and um, in terms of how UX insights are delivered, you know, at the start, if you're digging around looking for some key KPIs to benchmark off or anything like that in the org, you'll be, you'll find it hard to get those answers from people because they may not be tracking anything. Um, and <laughs> uh, and sometimes you've got to make up some stuff to go with it to show this. these are the potential KPIs you should be benchmarking off with these changes and this is what could potentially happen. But we now need to go and research more on that to validate that further. Right? So you get into all these kind of conversations. Yeah. But but um, yeah, I definitely feel that too. It's something I see all the time. There's no onus or responsibility in the org to own it that way.
1: Yeah, I think I think there is a gross uh, misunderstanding that like a lot of measures and analytics are just like sitting out there waiting for you to use. (laughs) Um, So I think that's one of the things that that gets taught incorrectly is like, oh, you can build something and then you can go measure it and then you can change it. The reality is in organizations, including ones that you absolutely would not believe often don't have things instrumented or if they do. It's really hard to get access to, or no one understands it. So yeah. uh, essentially, it becomes a full time job to just try to understand um, what, what analytics exist and how you can use them. If so even, um, do not, yeah, do yeah. not ever assume you are going to be able to use that. For your no. research or design. Because no. I would say, at least in the organizations I've worked with, most of the time you don't have them. Yeah. I would, in fact, assume that you aren't going to have them.
0: Yeah. And it's it's so true. I've noticed it all my career. Analytics is set up sometimes, sometimes it's not. Depending on the tool they're using, they're usually using, you know. Google Analytics, some good in, some good um, orgs recently that I've seen are using Indicative and Snowplow and Segment and other stuff like that that can be really useful. But um, uh, the ones that do have maybe Google Analytics set up, it's not set up correctly. Um, there are no key goals or conversion yep. funnels set up properly to measure or A-B test against anything. And it's just a loose dashboard of all these results that no one has really any clear uh, direction on what's happening on a day-to-day basis with the product or the website, whatever it might be. Right. Yep. Yeah. That's pretty much it. <laughs> yeah, no, sure. So <laughs>
1: pretty much. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. No, that's it. Um, so, so, just back to your earlier point actually around the tools that you do use um so i totally align with that given i'm a bit of a veteran too i've you know i've been in product and research for nearly 15 years and um i'm at that stage as well where those key tools that i use on a project basis usually come down to a whiteboard for co-creation workshops um Uh, It comes down to some of the key things I would use would be I do get in deep into sometimes into new product creation, into buyer personas, Um, not just normal persona creation, Mm. but but deeper buyer persona stuff, uh, which is really good. Some things to measure and track there. Um, And then what else? I usually get into obviously a lot of customer interviewing, which I love. Um, It's one of my most favorite parts of my work. Uh, That's where I get some of the real deep truths. Uh, in terms of insights and feedback. And then, obviously, Google Spreadsheets, like yourself, I'm now using Miro a lot. Um, Obviously, I don't care really these days much about if I'm using Sketch or Figma or XD for getting some quick scams out or some ideas out really quickly for discussion. I couldn't care less about those tools to some point. It doesn't make a difference to me um, because I find – maybe at this stage we're in a bit of a kind of assembly line design phase where everything's kind of looking the same right. and it's quite easy to churn stuff out right so I, I don't sweat it too much on that stuff um so cool there okay. is
1: one positive tooling change that i've seen actually cool. uh, yeah. uh so i um i want, the more research and ux design you do the more you have to deal with recruiting um unless you're spoiled and have someone recruiting for you which I never do. <laughs> so um recruiting and the entire recruiting process in the end is so painful and so awful and I hate yeah. it yeah, <laughs> so yeah. much. So um actually the the situation for like self-serve recruiting in the last, you know, 5 years has improved drastically. Now sure. I feel like I can say to like clients or companies, yeah, I can always get users that will, you know, match, you know, a profile, even if they're like really niche and weird, which is often what I end up dealing with. <laughs> Personally, I use Respondent, um, which I love. I, I, I actually think I probably was one of their earliest users, but mm. um, they do the entire process end to end, allow you to des- design screeners, handle the incentive process. So, like, awesome. that, that I will say is the one thing that like made a huge difference for me.
0: Yeah, great cool yeah, there's plenty of those tools popping up too, right um yeah, cool, so I wanted yeah. to kind of um shift it a little bit then just into another point that I was really keen to talk to you about in terms of your your views over the years of what you've seen emerging in terms um even from state colleges right through to Uh, Online courses, the plethora of online courses today in UX and UX design and product, however you want to frame or phrase it, and where boot camps lie today and whether it's worth having a diploma and not having a diploma. Does it make a difference uh, in terms of what kind of courses that you should do in this area to get started? Um, Have you been, have you seen much of this? Have you heard much of these stories from your mentees or in the industry?
1: Yeah, um, certainly many of the people who come to me and um, ask for advice about finding a job are often boot camp graduates. I do think it's much harder to find um, a job with just um, a boot camp. Um, and I think it's because those of us who are doing hiring realize that boot camps are often a very idealized version of how UX Happen. so um, a lot of what you need to learn in UX is not you know how to use Figma it's not necessarily uh, uh, how to design a particular you know interface on mobile a lot of it is this more intangible stuff which you know we've already sort of touched on a bit about like influence and how to collaborate with other people and like recruiting or owning a project end-to-end like some of these things happen in boot camps, but because the process is so idealized, you don't get the like gritty realities that come from doing research. I will say I don't have, I mean, I have, in my opinion, an incredibly strong background for what I do, but I don't have an HDI degree. I do not have a um any, I think, formal education in UX. Um like I didn't take any UX courses. It's for no other reason they didn't exist. But um, but I have a social science background which is, which is incredibly useful. All that I feel like being a social scientist has made me into a researcher and you can get that kind of background where you know how to do um, different methods very easily. And then the key is really to just apply it. So, um, uh, like in grad school, I looked for projects that allowed me to essentially do real practical versions of, you know, the methods I learned. For example, I was on a, I had a, you know, research project I worked on with professors that was essentially real world ethnography. So, um, I got actual project experience while in school, but it was, you know, applied, uh, uh, versions of those methods. And that made me very successful. Like I've had no, no trouble. I've never felt like I don't know enough or, or haven't had enough like UX education. (laughs) Um, and I, I really think the boot camps do a disservice by not, really getting into sort of some of the realities that we've talked about or or any degree program. Um I think I think you should study what you think um will make a difference and um give you some of the foundational skills, but it doesn't need to be UX, it doesn't need to be hdi yeah, Um
0: totally. Yeah. yeah, no, that's it's great to hear that in that way because I uh I'm, I feel it because I've mentored lots of people at this stage, similar to yourself and um Some of the material on some of the online courses is so high level and fluffy. It worries me um, that the students are not being exposed to actually what happens in the workplace on a daily basis to function as a UX person or a researcher. And even some of the activities and curricula that's in these courses is um, so removed from reality as to what goes on on a daily basis when trying to build or execute on product. Um, uh, I, yeah, that's where my concerns come in. And I guess that's where I've been coming from for a long time with the course I'm building at the moment, very much is removed from all that stuff and talks about the, it focuses more on the soft skills. We're talking about modules around soft skills, how to co-create, how to speak and communicate with customers and your CEO and your leadership team. Um, uh, how to communicate your UX results, your insights, your research and the whys behind it and the confidence in doing this stuff. Um, uh, there are no courses that even talk about this stuff. And so, no. um, yeah. And, and, and so this is the angle at UXI is to where we're coming from is that we want to build a course describing what actually happens on a day to day, day to day basis as a UX person. Be it in a corporate, in a bank as part of a product team that's usually a mess or um, a startup where you are a generalist (laughs) and you are scrambling day to day. And you're literally you're the UI person, you're the UX person, you're the researcher, you're everything. Right. So um, they are far removed from most courses, I believe, but maybe uh, maybe. Yeah.
1: And I think they do people a really big disservice. Because a lot of the like boot camp boot camp grads I talk to actually have incredible experience a lot of these people are not like new grads. they have incredible, very relevant experience that they could careers. directly take and turn yeah they're just shifting careers and yeah. you do not necessarily need um a, a like u x boot camp to get the the like few skills you need i would in fact the recommendation i've usually made is like. You know, really think about what makes you right now without any sort of, you know, formal UX education an amazing UX person. And most of the time, it, it's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and then, then it's like, all right, so maybe you don't know how to do a few of the like crucial, you know, methods. Take a one course in like that specific thing, because then you get really familiar with it, and you go deep, and you understand all of the the issues, and then you can just use your your current experience in a really like beautiful way (laughs) rather than being like getting this like kind of shitty overview of everything and not really understanding any of the realities
0: yeah (laughs) yeah that's great that's a great way to frame it yeah yeah no I've been feeling this for a long time even around some of the course a lot of courses I know online um they're so far removed from that reality um that I kind of have kind of felt it in some ways that I want to show people and teach people and I want to be able to bring those realities into kind of a proper course format. Um, and, you know, even colleges, right. Don't get this across in terms of actual UX courses in colleges. And um, they nest, they wouldn't really hit off this kind of day to day realities. of working with other people as a UX person. Yeah. This has been so insightful. Um, I, I, feel so aligned with you on so much of this stuff I guess as veterans (laughs) over the years the war stories are very very similar
1: yeah Um, I know right yeah yeah, we need like a support group like UX anonymous
0: (laughs) yeah it's something like that and so I guess a last point if you could kind of frame it or wrap it into one or two sentences if you were to send any of your mentees on a course today for ux if there's three key things or five key things that they have to get out of that course what do you think they would be
1: um number one is uh the mindset coaching i do actually i think that that kind of um confidence building and belief in yourself and like solidity in who you are is absolutely crucial for anyone in ux two it's how to sell your results um it I know we we tend a lot of us think of selling as like this repulsive thing that that we don't like and have a visceral reaction to it, but yeah. what you doing what you're doing is in fact selling yourself a lot of times as a researcher and selling the uh, the things you're presenting. So essentially, if you think of selling as just. Showing how you're giving someone value and showing how you're helping them, it, turn, it turns it around. So essentially learning how to sell yourself, but doing it in a way that's like authentic. And then three, um, it's really about how to have like good authentic conversations uh, with people. I think that is, that is like the number one, like skill method, whatever. It, it, it comes up pretty much in everything you do. So getting really comfortable having challenging, interesting, open-ended conversations. Those are my top three.
0: Yeah, those are awesome. And Mindset, all, yeah. selling
1: yourself, and conversation skills.
0: Great. And they're, they're all soft skills, right? The parts and areas that just... Yep, they most, are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that just shows you tooling is tooling, and it's always going to evolve. It's always going to be there. You can use some of it. You can use none of it. You can do things your way. But the human interaction part, the co-creation, the facilitation, however you want to frame it, that is an art of itself. Communication is, and it's something that you're always going to be honing, improving on to actually really get ahead or be successful in UX, right?
1: Yeah. I feel like I have a relevant story here that like really ties everything together. Okay, um cool. so I've I've been a hiring manager, I've hired people and um I essentially I've been in the position where I have literally hundreds of resumes to look at for one position, one junior level position. And so many of the people you see have incredible skills, incredible background, um, and have you know all of the methodology, knowledge, and experience that you could possibly want. Yeah. The thing that caused me to look at someone's resume was, are they a unique human being who is trying to contribute using that uniqueness, that authenticness in some particular way. So um, the last person I hired, he was very um, honest and owned how important diversity and um, LGBTQ activism was, and he had it prominent on his resume. And of course, he had all the other skills, too. But essentially, the fact that he really cared about something and in thought that being a researcher would allow him to, you know, put put his authenticity forth that was the reason I hired him it wasn't he also was good at everything but like the reason I hired him was because he was unique and willing to stand out so that would be like my piece of advice for like all the soft skills and stuff how can you as someone in UX Stand out because of who you are,
0: because of your authenticity. Yeah, that's amazing. That's 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 not often that you'll see someone just describe a few sentences on their resume like that to show them that's they're authentic, and you know that if you hire them, they get into a role or a project that 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 way they will execute fully.
1: Oh yeah, he was he was fabulous. I I would hire him over and over
0: again. Yeah, (laughs) great. That's that's great. That's a great way to wrap up. I just want to say thank you for your time. Uh, your contribution and I really look forward to maybe getting you on again and maybe we can do a session on another area maybe down the line at some stage and so thank you again for everything and your time
1: Uh, that would be lovely it was my pleasure great conversation